The following is a message from Reverend Ken Belden of Wellsprings Congregation. This creature showed up in my house again this past week. That is Santa Opus. Opus from Bloom County, the beloved cartoon that appeared throughout the week on Sundays, especially when I was growing up in the 80s and the early 90s, has recently made a comeback to the joy and delight of many of us. That's him and his Santa version. The nice thing about Santa Opus and Opus in general is that Opus uh, is kind of my spirit animal. (laughs) Kind of a deep streak of melancholy with a pretty firm conviction that joy and love eventually win. That's kind of who I am. So one of the cool things about Bloom County being back is that they're also posting a lot of the classics. From back in the day, such as this one. Opus is about to get his air music on right here. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ooh, 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 ooh. Whatever thubit, thubit, thubit is. Rock and roll, rock and roll, rock and roll. Uh oh. Clap, 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 clap. Fatally embarrassed, the famous air guitarist slumps dead and deflated. Should I let the air groupies in now? (laughs) Any of you ever been caught playing air band? All right. Good. Opus is not alone. Not alone with my experience either. It was uh, 12, 14, 15 years ago when I was living in South Florida. And I lived on the ocean, which was separated from the mainland by this little strip of water called the Intracoastal, Intracoastal Waterway. And sometimes when I'd be driving back to my place on the ocean, um, I'd have to stop for five minutes or so for the drawbridge to go up for the boats to go by and just sit there waiting. And one day, drawbridge was up, guard was down, and I guess my guard was down too, because the song came on. I can't even remember what the song was. And yeah, I just... Then the air guitars... And then the air drums. And like I had all kinds of crazy stuff. And just as about I was go to go over here and about to just crash on that air cymbal, I looked. And there was a car full of teenage girls (laughs) looking at me. And worse, I, I knew one of them. She was the daughter of one of my friends. And luckily, the gate was coming up, and the drawbridge was coming down, and I only had to sit here about 15 or 20 seconds of them looking at me, because they just started howling. And I got to tell you, this fair skin, red hair, I don't blush. I don't turn crimson. I turn red wine. Like, I was burgundy. I was on fire. So this has happened, it sounds like, to a few of us. We've been caught doing something when we're feeling a little embarrassed. Other people see us. And if you go back for a second to what Opus said, fatally embarrassed, the famous air guitarist slumps dead and defeated. You ever hear that word, mortified? Oh, I was so embarrassed I was mortified. 
For those of you who know some of the Romance languages, especially French, morte, mortification. Embarrassment is like its close cousin, shame. But in some ways, well, worse. Because the thing with embarrassment is it's not private at all. It's totally, totally public. For those of us who turn red wine really easily, we can't hide it. Here's the thing with shame promoting, producing, embarrassment promoting, producing cultures, religions. We are put out. We are shunned. We feel that if we're embarrassed too often, we've lost our place and connection. If you break down the word embarrassment, you'll see the word bar within it. Barred. Embarrassment can be so powerfully negative an emotion that we can feel literally barred from connecting with other people. It's related to that word embargo. We can't get in. We are kept out. And if you think about, especially when human connection a long time ago, I mean, it's still absolutely necessary. We're totally social animals. We have the illusion at times that we're separate from each other. But, you know, especially when we think we used to live in small tribes with each other, to be put out, to be shunned, means that literally we could die from the elements of exposure, of being embargoed. Even if it won't kill us now, many of us, it still hurts. We can feel we might die of the exposure, of being seen and being embarrassed. I had a friend graduate the year before me in college, and I went to this very, very progressive, very, very left-wing school, very academic. A lot of us were just, you know, college was to go to get a master's, then maybe a master's to a PhD. And he did the most radical thing that almost all of my friends did. He got a job in high finance, <laughs> making a lot of money. And it wasn't that easy for him. He was a Good guy. He was kind of sensitive. He could put on a nice mask and play along. But there was a lot of hazing that went on in this new job in finance. The one thing they tried to do every single day was to play hide your keyboard. Sometimes they'd put it in the toilet. Sometimes they'd put it out on the street. You did not want to be the person during the morning meeting before the market opened to be caught without your keyboard. My friend described this experience of being embarrassed, being put out as one of losing face. Losing face in the face of his fellow workers. We lose enough face in this life. We get embarrassed enough in this life. We'll probably do one of two things. We'll probably take a really cruel route which is to buy into systems of embarrassment and to be those who set ourselves up to embarrass other people because that's the way we make ourselves feel safe. Or we just decide to play it safe, to wear a mask. Nah, I'm not embarrassed. Those who don't turn bright red naturally, we can hide it. Maybe start to believe that old demon perfectionism that says our flops, our failures, Our foolishness means we really don't belong. And so we have to hide any sign of our flops, our failures, and our foolishness. But you know, of course, there's a whole other way of being. 
in which our flops, our failures, and our foolishness, instead of being the thing that bars us from connection with each other, can be the thing absolutely that connects us with each other. It reminds us that we belong. So those moments, I saw it a little bit on you, some of you shaking your head. Yeah, you've done the air guitar opus, air guitar Ken, you know, you've been in those moments, feels embarrassed, and yeah, that made me feel a little bit better. I'm not the only one. I thought it was just me. In those moments, we overcome our terminal uniqueness. And we remember our connection with each other. And especially in situations like this, I am so grateful for the people who don't hide their failures, their flaws, their foolishness. In fact, they're the kind of people who go first (laughs) and create space for others. Such as uh, uh, there's a woman named Jenny Lawson who uh, has a, a large following online, and she writes at, uh, at the blog S, if you know anything about Twitter. And she shared not too long ago an embarrassing moment from her life, and then something really amazing happened in social media, which so often is the source of shame and embarrassment. The opposite happened. People started responding. At the blog S, I was once thanked by a grieving family member for coming to the funeral. I responded, no, thank you. <laughs> Worst. Next one. At the blog S, after flunking a job interview, got up, shook everyone's hands, and walked into the coat closet. <laughs> the handsomest man I've ever seen once sat down next to me and said hi. I responded with, I'm eating a Tootsie Roll. <laughs> he left. <laughs> next one. I love this one. The director of my play asked the audience to turn off their phones and vibrators <laughs> instead of setting phones to vibrate. An elderly man presented his discount card to me, and I said, you're getting ready to expire. (laughs) I could not recover. (laughs) Here's a miracle. You see, oh, that laughter is not amazing. And then you see what the blog has said. My God, I love you people. The response is magic when we recognize our flaws, our failures. Our foolishness doesn't have to separate us. It can connect us. See, this, by the way, is so much better than that phrase you may have heard before. Dance like nobody's watching. Dance like everybody's watching. Because they might be a great dancer like you're a great dancer. But chances are they're as lousy a dancer as you are. And life doesn't have to be this. Seventh grade dance. No one make a move. No one show weakness. You know, that's a metaphor. You know, as adults, well, you know, we don't have seventh grade dances anymore. But we have all kinds of ways of being petrified and stuck in place because we are afraid of embarrassment. We can get out onto, I almost fell there. That would have been really foolish. That would have been great. All unplanned, people. All unplanned. We can dance like everybody's watching. We can say, wow, this embarrassing stuff can lead us to say, I love you guys. We can become bonded, not because we're doing it right all the time, but because we're willing to show that sometimes we get it wrong. We, in fact, do get it right. The following story I'm going to share with you is one of my absolute favorites about getting it wrong 
and ultimately getting it right. It's from a guy named Adam Gopnik, who some of you might know. He is a writer for The New Yorker, really beautiful writer. And he tells this story that you can find online. You can find it at themoth.com. Tells this story about his relationship with his son, his son Luke, who really he describes as his buddy. You know, they're tight. They're thick as thieves. They love each other. They go to hockey games together. They communicate all the time until this thing happens in Luke's life. He becomes a teenager. And Adam says he can't help himself. Adam Gopnik, he can't help himself. You see, he works at home. He writes at home in his office. And so he's there every day when his son gets home from school and he can't help himself because he goes to the door. He opens the door for his son and he takes the bait every single time. Hey, Luke, how was your day? Huh? Shrugged his shoulders, walks into his room, closes the door and he knows don't ask the question. The more I try to do, the less he's going to respond. But every day, hey, Luke, how was your day? Huh? Walk into the door, close the door to the bedroom, no communication. Until one day when Adam is sitting there in his office, and this isn't the day before uh, texting was so ubiquitous on many of our phones. This isn't the days in which a lot of us uh, IM'd instant message on our computers. And Adam was sitting there working, and he recognized a message came up from his son. Hey, Dad, what's up? He was shocked, and I am from Luke. Nothing much, Luke. What's up with you? And he and his son every day would do the same dance at the door. How was your day? No answer. And then 15 or 20 minutes later, he would get an I am from his son in just the other room. And before we go off on this thing about how technology is separating us and why can't we talk person to person, Adam Gopnik said, no, that's not it at all. It's that as a teenager, we need to be able to establish some boundaries and that this was a safe way for him to be able to communicate with his father, who he loved very much, but they were renegotiating their relationship. And so they started this way of I aming with each other. And Adam said that he had a particular way of ending his messages to his son. And it was based on this thing that he saw Luke doing all the time. LOL. LOL. And all the messages. LOL, Dad. Which everyone knows means lots of love. <laughs> Ending every message. Lots of love. LOL, Dad. Even when he was having to take on the kind of, you know, officious role of father, do your homework, son, I had to do it. Do the things you have to do so that you can do the things you want to do, okay? Okay? LOL, dad, lots of love. His own father fell ill, seriously ill. And he would end his messages to his father. LOL, Adam. His sister in California. Going through a messy, ugly divorce, wanting to show support, ending all of his messages. LOL, Adam. Until one day, six months after this whole thing started with his son, he was at LaGuardia Airport late at night, midnight. And he was, that was, was a practice, IMing with his young teenage son. And he was about to take a trip far away and he was lamenting to his son. I hate having to travel. 
I hate being away from you. I hate being away from us and our family. And this is also part of what I have to do so that we have the life we have. It makes me sad. LOL, Dad. <laughs> and he immediately got back, all in capital letters, Dad, what exactly do you think LOL means? And then Adam immediately responded, LOL means lots of love. No, Dad. LOL means laughing out loud. No, Luke, lots of love. No, Dad. LOL means laughing out loud. And Adam thought, oh, my God. My son has been ridiculing me for six months, and I have not been understanding it. I've been laughing at other people's pain for six months. And then he thought, yeah, you know, this is probably what should happen between parents and teenage kids. You send them your love. They laugh at you. (laughs) But then he thought about it a little bit more. And he thought this near miss or this confusion of LOL for LOL was something that his son didn't flag for months on end. And Adam thought that it's absolutely true that for many moments of our lives, laughing out loud with you is exactly the same thing as sending lots of love to you. Now, this would have been a wonderful story alone just between Adam and Luke, right? But we all know about it. Because Adam Gopnik was willing to share his failure, his embarrassment. He turned toward it. He said, folks, I'm going to join the club, the club that we're already members in. I mean, who of us, even those of us who spend a lot of time on Facebook and have a lot of facility with social media, really understand all the ways to communicate on there. I mean, one of the nice things of working with Lee is our assistant minister. She's about 13, 14 years younger than me. She's pulling stuff out of the Internet all the time that I don't get at all. And I have to say, oh, <laughs> and you know what's great? Eventually, she'll be working with and know people younger than her and she won't get it then either. And of course, generational communication breakdown. Join the club. That's just the way things go. In the midst of all these things we don't get, we can hear the lots of laughs. We can feel the lots of love. And we can remember that this is all common human basic stuff. And it is the stuff that connects us and lets us know we belong. If we don't bar ourselves, or we're not with other people who will use that embarrassment against us. It reminds me of one of this, one of these uh, lines that I absolutely love. Philip Seymour Hoffman, may he rest in peace, playing the late great rock journalist Lester Bangs in the movie Almost Famous. And he's saying to someone younger than him, who's not cool at all, the only currency in this bankrupt world is what you share with someone else when you're uncool. Amen. Amen. This is grace. 
This is the grace of recognizing our connection. Of embracing rather than embargoing our failures, our foolishness, our flaws. I was supposed to preach this message three weeks ago. And as some of you might know, that was the weekend of the Paris and the Baghdad and the Beirut attacks. And let's face it, folks, we all know this. It has been a brutal, violent week, three weeks since then. So I put, a, put off this message again. But honestly, what I needed was to take a break and to get a breather this Sunday. I'm going to return to some of this stuff, but with a different perspective next week in my message on rediscovering grace. But the principle is the same, I think. Learning to embrace rather than embargo the stuff in our lives that is difficult. You can take a break. You can take a breath. And remembering that embracing rather than embargoing is about that real belonging, that real connection. It's like that beautiful old Ram Dass quote that I've used here before and some of you I know absolutely love. We're all just walking each other home. Because the truth is that home is any place where you don't have to save face. Home is any place where we don't have to save face. Where we're not barred entry because we're not wearing the masks. We're wearing all the real, true, changing, sad, happy, scared, embarrassed, crimson, burgundy, joyous faces that comprise this being alive. There is grace in this, the grace of shared laughter that liberates from the isolation of embarrassment and reminds me that the best theology is always Sister Sledge theology. We are family. That word family, familiar. Me too. LOL. We're not alone. I'm familiar with that. I thought it was just me, but it's not. It's us. Maybe many of us don't feel safe or loved, fear of being put out. We dig in our heels on a small and holy ground because we think we stand alone. But to share the mortifying moments, the embarrassing moments, we realize that we stand on broad, holy ground. And it is exactly the stuff that we thought puts us out. It turns out to be exactly the things that invite us in into home, and back into the grace that we already are. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together. God of the true face, not of mask or persona, God of the embarrassing moments. May we find who we belong to that allows us to feel that we are not barred entry, but welcomed in. That there is in this the reminder of that unconditional love from which we come to which ultimately all of us, this is the universalist creed, return. And that we can integrate into our lives right now. Enough with wearing false faces. 
enough with hiding. Today, may our face and the faces we wear be an echo of what is real and true. No longer embargoing ourselves or others, but embracing all that is our life. Amen. If you enjoyed this message and would like to support the mission of Wellsprings, go to our website, wellspringsuu.org. That's wellsprings, the letters uu.org.